Well, Father, tonight we just thank you, Lord, that we can journey through your word. And Father, because of the Holy Spirit, we can not only understand it, but we can make application to our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, do just that tonight. Help us to apply the word to our lives and to take the principles that you've tucked in here, Lord, and and just bury them deep in our hearts tonight. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Sister Kim's going to come, and she's going to read verses 38 to 57, right to the end of the chapter, and uh, stay tuned for Joseph's next exploit. Verses 41, verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom there is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage, only in the throne. I will be greater than you are. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephaneth Paneah, and he gave him Ashenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Verse 50. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Ashenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there were famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Words are coming to pass here. Verse 38, we see that he gives the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream to him, and Pharaoh is so impressed with him that he sees him using his giftings that he buys into him immediately. Listen, listen what it says. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, so 
Joseph's there. The servants are all standing, listening. Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. So right away, he sees the gift being used. He understands the dream. He interprets it in a way that even though it hasn't come to pass yet, it's so convincing and so anointed that they buy into it immediately. Now remember, these are not spirit-filled Christians. These are pagan Egyptians who worship a host of false gods. Yet they can feel the presence of God and know that they shouldn't mess with it. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? You know, heathen and people who don't believe and atheists and all that, can, they can attack a theology and they can attack, you know, and say this about Christianity and they can find historical anomalies in Christianity and, and bring all kinds of criticisms and attack, but they can't argue with the presence of God. And they can't argue with your testimony. The greatest asset you have to converting unbelievers into believers is your testimony and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's, it's something that people just can't argue with. So here, Joseph's using his gift. He uses the supernatural gift of discernment, the natural gift of uh, being able to practically just, you know, break down all of this into a usable structure. And the Egyptians notice that there's something different about him. Look what Pharaoh says. Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Whoa. Did Pharaoh just say, this boy got the Holy Ghost on him? <laughs> yeah, he did. They noticed the spirit of God on him, and he, he calls it even rightly a divine spirit. That's right, Pharaoh. The spirit of God is resting on God's servant, Joseph. And even heathen pagans who don't understand godly theology recognize it and rightly esteem it and call it exactly what it is. It's a divine spirit. He wasn't a trickster. He wasn't a magician. He wasn't a, you know, one of his you know, wise men or wise guys or whoever he had come in there that couldn't interpret the dream. This guy was different. What a powerful observation Pharaoh make. He's exactly right. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit of God is resting on Joseph's life and everyone, even the heathen, notice it. In verse 39, they acknowledge uh, Joseph's amazing level of discernment and conclude he's the perfect man for the job. Now, while he was saying you need to set a man over this and you know he needs to be like a general and he needs to have people who report to him regionally, as he's laying this all out with his administrative gift, you wonder, as they're listening to him, they're thinking, you're the man for the job. Now, I don't know if Joseph was trying to get a job, but he certainly did get a job. They see he's the perfect one to oversee this agricultural layaway project. And what impresses the Egyptians most was that God had obviously spoken to Joseph. Remember, the, the other musicians, the magicians, and all of these guys, they had nothing. They had nothing for this dream. Pharaoh gave it to him, and it was a big blank. But Joseph so powerfully uses his gift and they recognize it's a divine spirit on him and number two, that God had spoken to him. So they put him over the entire project and it's an amazing thing. Verses 40 through 45, Joseph receives a whirlwind of promotion. Now, all of us like to be rewarded. Can, can we agree on that? All of us would like promotion in life. Do you wanna, do you wanna be demoted or promoted? Amen. Amen. So listen to the succession of things that happen here. Remember this guy, look, the shaving cream is still, uh, he can still smell it because they pulled his butt out of jail 
and they shaved him and they bathed him and they tried to make him look presentable. Okay, so he still got a little bit of jail on him. But listen to the promotion as it comes here. You shall be over my house. Come again? Pharaoh, my house, the top house. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Whoa. That is a huge promotion. Now, a lot of people would say, well, it's only a promotion in your number two. But number two is the most powerful man on the face of the earth right now. I mean, we think of the vice president. Usually, if you, if you pay attention to politics at all, presidents pick vice presidents who are no threat to them at all. They're no threat to them legislatively, academically, intellectually. Do you notice that? A lot of times that's who gets picked. But this is not a, a vice presidential pick, as it were. This is Pharaoh trusting a man with such an important job that the, that the whole entire... Uh, survival of the nation rests on it. So he's given him full authority, full access. So look what it says, you're over all my people and they'll do homage to you. That means Pharaoh's saying, hey, listen up everybody, you're gonna respect this guy. And when Pharaoh says you respect him, if you disrespect him, Pharaoh could put you to death. It's not like respect in our culture where we, you know, our, our culture doesn't give respect or honor where it's due and we think we kind of just get away with it but it was different back then in that system. And when he said, people will do homage to you and you over all of them, what a great amount of power was just bestowed on this guy who was just sprung out of jail. Do you see how quickly and amazingly things can turn around for the people of God if we'll just stay faithful? He's head over all the Egyptian lands, verse 41 says. So I mean, every, everything that Pharaoh controls, he's over it. Joe gets... Uh, a fine garment and a gold chain on his neck. Listen to verse 42 here. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and, and put it on his hand and on Joseph's hand and clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold necklace on his neck. So he gets all decked out and he gets some bling. But what's more important than the bling is the ring. Okay, did you hear that part about the signet ring? That signet ring, when it was it was used to seal documents or it was used to make decrees or it was used to give orders. And what they would do is they would put wax on the orders or fold an envelope and put wax and then they would push the signet ring into the wax and it would have Pharaoh seal on it. Now once that seal was in the wax, it was as good, it didn't matter if Joseph put it there or Pharaoh put it there, it carried the same weight. Wow. So here's Joseph, what a promotion. He gets all decked out, he gets the gold chain, that's, that's fine. But the authority that comes with that signet ring, God just promoted a guy from the prison to the palace and puts him in charge with equal weight as Pharaoh. Just an amazing thing here. Verse 45, Joseph gets a new name, uh, Zapaneth Penea. I just call him ZP for short. And he gets a wife, Asenath. So you know, notice some things that are going on here. The, the promotion's exciting. The promotion's good. Can we all agree it's a lot better than jail? Yeah. But this is not Joseph's destiny. Amen? Yeah. See, no more is it our destiny to be rulers of this world. Come on, it's quiet now. Oh, if I just had the big house and the pocket full of money and unlimited authority and honor and then... Listen, that's the kingdoms of this world. 
So Joseph's being promoted over the kingdom of this world, but God has a bigger plan for him to be a son in the, in the 12 tribes of Israel, amen? And, you know, we have to look at this promotion as a good thing and better than prison, but there again, it's not the focal point. When I see Christians focused on gaining treasure and pleasure and accolades in this world at the expense of doing kingdom things, my heart is broken, some of us are so enamored by the baubles and trinkets of this world. And let me just tell you something, they're worthless. And if you haven't figured it out yet, they don't satisfy. You'll chase them till you're exhausted, you'll get them, you, you'll celebrate them for a brief moment, and again, they'll leave you empty and yearning for something more. It's chasing the wind. So he's got this promotion here, but don't think, man, he really hit it. This is it. This is the pinnacle. No, this is just a stepping stone on the way to his destiny. Uh, he gets this wife here, and she's an Egyptian wife. Now realize what comes with that is a lot of culture. Remember, God constantly told his people not to intermarry with the pagan cultures. Why? Because when you marry someone and you become one with them, they have a great influence on you. If you're not married today, be careful who you marry. Don't marry an unbeliever because you'll be struggling your whole entire life to find balance. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. In this situation, Joseph is given this woman as a wife. He takes her. He's unequally yoked, but it's just part of the package here. Now, we're going to see some, some good things come out of this, but pay attention to what's going on here. It looks good, but it's not the final destiny. Verse 46, Joseph is 30 years old when it seems like a lot of the divine grooming comes to completion. Notice that was the age where you would reach maturity uh, in the eyes of the Jewish people in many cultures. 30 was the year, you know, you were seen not as a child, but as an adult. Um, you know, remember Jesus' ministry uh, at 30 began his public ministry. 33, he was crucified. Uh, three years, he changed the world, but it started at 30. So there's something significant there. We can see a lot of typology where Joseph resembles Christ, and it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do. But uh, 30 years old, and now it seems like all of the things that he went through uh, are starting to produce some fruit for him, and that's a good thing. It said, then Pharaoh named Joseph, uh, ZP, gave him that name. He gave him Aseneth, the daughter of the priestess there, 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So he's promoted, he's empowered, and then he's put to work. The divine grooming, the mission preparation, the school of hard knocks boot camp that he went through, the pit, the prison, Mrs. Potiphar, all that stuff was training for this moment. This young guy is now in charge of the welfare of an entire kingdom, a huge nation, because famine is coming. And if he doesn't do the right things with the ability and the gifting and the, the power he's been given, his neck is really on the line. It's not enough to get promoted. We've actually got to do the job then. <laughs> Amen? Did you ever get promoted into a position and it was all the fanfare and they clapped and maybe they gave you an award and they acknowledged you and then all of a sudden you're like, I got to do what now? <laughs> Did you ever feel tricked? They tricked me. They gave me more stuff to do and no raise. Maybe that stings a little. Let's just move on. 
But now he's got to produce something here. He, he, he's, got to, he's in charge with preserving the nation. He went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Notice where he went right to work. For leaders to be successful, they can not only use their spiritual gifts well, but they need to use their natural gifts well. So what does he do? I want to know the natural lay of the land now. He goes out and he looks at all of Egypt he can look at. He goes to the towns. He goes to the citadels. He starts to learn who the people are, how the demographics work out. He's becoming what? Knowledgeable so he can be skillful at what he's about to do. He wants to know the lay of the land. He has to know the cultures and the conditions of the nation so that he can uh, somehow, some way, you know, get them to start enough grain to survive seven years of famine. Could you imagine if you had to pack seven years worth of food into like your freezers and cupboards and your bomb shelter? I don't know what kind of crazy people we got here tonight. But I mean, can you imagine seven years of food? Most of us, you'd think you'd have enough, you'd eat it in seven months. You'd be laying in the basement covered in cans of beans and empty peanut butter jars. Seven years, a huge undertaking. So he's got some work to do. Notice, if you're going to be a good leader, you got to put the work in. Amen? A promotion is one thing, but to succeed, all of us have to roll up our sleeves, whether it's in ministry or in the, in the world or in the, the business world, whatever it is, Joseph is willing to do the hard work. Now, verse 47 and 8 uh, 47 and 48, Joseph gives the Egyptians a wise plan and then he proceeds to execute it with precision. And that's the thing I'm trying to bring out here. You know, many of us have opportunities. Many of us have offices. Many of us, you know, people look to us and we, we have an opportunity. But, you know, executing is something that a lot of people drop the ball with. Do you notice that? Maybe you've been to a lot of board meetings. You've been to a lot of meetings in the office and people have great ideas. Come on. You've been in those meetings, right? In fact, it looks like you're in one right now. And then when you walk out, you walk out of the meeting, everybody who had a good idea, they don't do nothing. Nothing. It's amazing. You got teams of people who can come up with ideas, a whole bunch of chiefs, but no Indians. Have you ever felt like the only Indian? I have people, you know, knock on my door. Pastor, I have a good idea. Good. Go do it. Let me know how it works. Teams of people just thinking of things for me to do. You ever feel like that? Joseph is a doer. He's not just a dreamer, though he does dream and interpret dreams. He gets the job done. And that's a beautiful thing about him. That's the balance I want you to see. Joseph prophetically forecasts great produce in the first seven years. And uh, he makes sure that the abundance is stored up and preserved. That, pr that productive time comes. Uh, look at verse 49 here. This is actually pretty amazing here. You know, it's, it says here in 48, so he gathered all the food in seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed every city's food in its own surrounding fields. So he's giving each city that Pharaoh controls their own reserves that they can guard. Remember, they know the vision now. So the, who's going to guard the food best? The people who are going to eventually have to eat it, right? So there's wisdom in that. Listen to verse 49. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. Wow. The ground produced such an abundance. Not only did they eat and sustain themselves in those years, 
But there was so much food that the abundance of it was they started to count it and they started to measure it to figure out how much they had until it was too hard to even count it. It was so abundant. Our God is a God of abundance. Anybody excited about that? Now listen, it's important to know that our God is a God of abundance. He's not cheap. Some people build God as cheap. You're like, he just gives you just enough to scrape by. He keeps you just hungry enough, you know, you know to you know, keep you coming back. Listen, if God has to ration things out to us, that means our character needs work. Well, God only gives me enough just to scrape by, and, and you know, then I got to come crawling back. Well, maybe it's because when he gave you a little bit extra, you plundered it, or you wasted it, or you misused it. He's not cheap. And if we have lack, it's not because he's short. God's like, oh, I'm short, you know. (laughs) There's no Mrs. God to spend all this money. (laughs) Hear the ladies groan, and I love it. Calls a meeting of the Trinity. Did you see how much he spent on shoes? But God's not cheap, so don't bill him as cheap, and don't act like he's cheap. He's a God of abundance. I mean, he gives so much grain to these pagan Egyptians that they can't even measure it. There's so much of it, they can't even keep a tally of how much it is. That's what I want you to see. That's the God you serve today. He has everything you need and so much more, amen? There's no need for us to chase it in the world. There's no need for us to, you know, try and stockpile it ourselves. Wow, it's quiet. Because he's got what we need. Joseph's handling of the grain is with precision. Uh, He prospers in everything he does. His leadership role is prospering. People are really getting to see, you know, this guy's a solid guy. The agricultural mission is going great. It's the years of abundance. He's pounding away the grain. The silos and the barns and everything are are filling to the brim. And and in all of this, you know, he has the time to start a family. Remember, Pharaoh gave him a wife. And so now he starts a family here. And and that's an important thing to think of. Think about all the things Joseph's doing. He was kind of cooling his heels in prison, just minding a few prisoners. Now he's running a nation. And he's got this agricultural project that is huge. And on top of it, he finds the time to start a family. Do you know, there's an old expression, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Did you ever hear that before? Busy people know how to get things done. Lazy people, no matter how much time they have, they get nothing done. Did you ever hang out with somebody to help you get something done, and by the time they were done, you actually had more things to do? (laughs) Do you know? Maybe you clean like that. You go to clean a room, and within a few minutes, you find stuff that had been missing for a few years, maybe behind a dresser or a desk, or you moved one thing. Now you're playing with whatever you found. (laughs) Anyway, all the guys are gone. The ladies are going, that's what it is, that's why. They never get anything done. And so, you know, he has all of this busyness, all of this production, all of this, you know, pressure on him to lead, yet he finds the time to start a family. Now, Joseph's Egyptian wife, Ansanath, gives him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now listen, <coughs> listen to what their names mean here. <coughs> His firstborn is Manasseh. And this is what Manasseh means. Now, 
the Jewish people and many ancient people, they put, you know, they didn't just pick a name out of a name book or a name that was trending, you know, let's name him Sheldon. You know, uh, they picked names that meant something. Here's what Manasseh means. God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Wow. God made me forget. So the painful memories of the past, the painful experiences that Joseph had in Israel's house have vanished in the birth of this son here. And it's a new beginning for him. It's a, it's a time of emotional healing for him that God has given him all of this blessing, all of this stability, a wife, and she gives him a son. And as he holds that son, this is the name that he puts him. God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. Isn't it awesome that God brings us to places and blesses us with things that kiss away the scars of life? Isn't that a good thing? You and I should yearn for that, amen. You see, the minute we sit down and quit moving forward in God, that's when we're stuck with what we've got. But listen to me, saints, if we'll get up and push forward and, and stay in the will of God, there are blessings that kiss away the scars of the past. Let's face it, all of us have been brutalized somehow, some way in the past. And all of us have scars and wounds that we need kissed away. God has a way of bringing about situations. In this case, it's the birth of his firstborn son. And he says, you know what? I forgot all my trouble. What a beautiful testimony. The second boy's name is Ephraim. And this is what his name means. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's a, it's another beautiful <coughs> attitude that he has here. He doesn't see this as his homeland. He sees this as the land that he was stolen away and kind of dropped off in. Now, what God has taken away the affliction, taken away the sting, taken away the emotional scars with the second son, here it's another healing. It's another healing for Joseph. So the birth of his two sons are a really great blessing to him. Now, these two sons will eventually become two tribes in Israel. The tri Manasseh and Ephraim are going to have place in Israel, and, and they're going to have, you know, part of the stock of the family of God there. And, and understand this, you know, they were born in Egyptian, and they, they were born Egyptians, and they were raised in Egypt. You know, and that's something to think about here. These two sons who are going to have part and parcel in, in the family of God were raised in the pagan world. You know, where you're raised and how you're raised makes a real impact on your life. You know, in fact, I can look at most of you and figure out whether you were raised in the city or the country. You know, if you were raised in the city, there's just an edge you have about you because if you didn't have it, they would have stole your hubcaps and killed you by now. But you, I mean, you can just, you know, and what I'm saying is here, these guys were raised in Egypt and they're going to have some of that Egyptian culture in them and they're bringing that into the family of God. That's something to be, you know, I would say concerned about. You know, that worldliness, Egypt is the epicenter of the world, of the worldly kingdoms. And these guys are coming out of that. They're going to be, you know, affected by that and they're bringing that to the family of God. Verse 53 and 54, the seven years of plenty come to an end. And the seven years of famine begin. Joseph prophesied it and it happens just as he says. But understand, it's a lot easier to rule when it's prosperous and it's a, it gets a lot more serious and sober when it's famine time. 
Amen. So now the fact that the famine came, just like he said, adds credibility to him, but it is also going to be a harder time for him to rule. As he stored up all this grain, as he's got the reserves and they're busting at the seams, now the famine comes and the fact that the people are now ready to survive the famine and it's all because of Joseph galvanizes him in the eyes of the Egyptians. Pharaoh looks and says, man, I picked the right guy. And all the leadership go, woof, thank God for this guy. Thank God for this Hebrew guy in jail who has a divine spirit in him, whom God speaks to. You see, uh, many times in times of hardship is where the people of God are proven and they receive their due appreciation most of all. When everything's good in the nation, you know what? The churches are empty. People don't, you know, need God. But the minute there's crisis, come on, you all remember 9-11, how the church is filled up, amen? Albeit for a short time, but God got the attention of the nation. So, you know, when there's crisis, when there's calamity, uh, you know, things are sober. People are more interested in uh, godly people and the message of the gospel. It resonates more. This famine galvanizes Joseph. His reputation is powerful. It's solid now. The entire known world, by verse 54, is in the grips of a real nasty famine. And Egypt had bread. Look, look what it says there. That's a powerful thing there. In 54, it says, And the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph has said. And there was a famine in all the lands. But listen, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Wow. Do you realize the, the position this puts Egypt in here? If everyone's starving and you got food, you just became wealthy. Amen? Joseph has positioned them uh, in such a way that, you know, they not only are going to sustain themselves with what they've stored, but now Egypt is going to enrich itself. That's an important thing uh, for, for, you know, these people here. Now, hungry people will pay any price for food. You know that. If you see what's going on in Venezuela, how the people are starving and the humanitarian aid is being brought in and the government is snatching it up and they're fighting over it and people are being shot rather than give them something to eat, they want, the government wants to control that. I mean, hungry people will give you whatever. I don't know, most of us have never really been hungry in here. You know, unless we fasted, we really don't, you know, know what it's like to be hungry. Fasting is different because it's a spiritual thing and we're denying ourselves food because we've chosen to. But if there's no food to eat, the psychological impact of that alone, when there's no food to give to your children, wow. Just think about this, famine is a nasty thing. Remember, we, we run out of food, we just go to the store and buy more of whatever we want. We are so blessed. It's not if we're gonna eat tonight, it's hey, what do you wanna eat tonight? Hungry people will pay anything for food and they have no bread, and guess who does? Egypt has bread, and why do they have bread? It's all because of Joseph. Hearing and obeying the voice of the Lord can cause God's people to prosper no matter what's going on around in the natural. Did you hear that? You see, there are times in the natural where there's famine. There's times in the natural where there's economic collapse. There's times in the natural where the, the markets or the, the job market or whatever is, you know, is fragile and people can't, I mean, all of us can probably think back to times when the economy was really bad. Anybody remember? Anybody not have a job at some time, didn't know how you were gonna pay your bills? 
Serious, right? Here's Egypt. They got bread. They got plenty. They've got enough to, you know, take care of their own, to sell. It's a pretty amazing thing. You and I are not under the economy of the world. We're in the economy of God. He provides for us. But you, we, you have to hear him, amen? There's times he speaks to us, he speaks to me, he speaks to you about financial decisions, about where to put your money, where to put your investments, where to buy real estate, where to move from, where to move to. Hello? Whenever you make a big transition like that, make sure you pray. Don't just do what seems good to you. God wants to speak. Why? Because if we'll listen to him, he'll bless us and prosper us. Even in times of lack, he prospers his people. Why do I feel like I'm trying to sell snow to Eskimos here? You guys so blessed that you don't need any blessing training? Maybe, maybe you could teach me. But, you know, this is all real world stuff, amen? And uh, we can learn from these principles. Verse 55, uh, uh, Joseph is in such a place of leadership here that we see Pharaoh deferring to him at, at every moment here, just, you know, when there's an issue or there's a problem, he wants Joseph to be the one who is in charge here. So it says in verse 55, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, <coughs> you shall do. So Pharaoh doesn't try to lead in this. He I don't know if he doesn't want to be bothered or he's humble or he's out of his element or he just wants to be left alone. Whatever the situation is, he's like letting Joseph have full reign. Now that gives him great significance in the eyes of the people. Again, Pharaoh's being really generous here with Joseph and you know, a, a lot of leaders aren't like that. A lot of leaders won't, you know, let you have too much power, let you have too much authority. Even in the church, you know, it's amazing how worldly we can get even in the spiritual community. Uh, but look at Pharaoh here, just deferring to him. Joseph's handling it, go to Joseph. You know, all that authority, all that power, he gives it to him and he keeps leading skillfully. Uh, you know, he has integrity and he's just and the people respect him and obviously so does Pharaoh. And that's a great testimony. Verse 56, in crisis, Egypt did something that we need to pay attention to. Verse 56 here shows us that when the famine was spread over the face of the whole earth, then Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. So first thing I want you to notice is here, they stored up the grain, they put it in regional areas, they guarded it. When the famine came, they opened up the, the silos, and they sold, and they took care of first the Egyptians. And I want you to see something here. Egypt does a wise thing. Government's first responsibility is to take care of its own people. Amen. Charles got the Holy Ghost. Amen. The first responsibility of the United States government is to take care of its own people. If you looked at the budget and you see how many billions and trillions of dollars we give to nations that hate us, if you saw the billions of tons, metric tons of grain that we give to nations that oppose us. And at the same time, we have veterans tonight that will sleep in the streets in shabby clothes and have no health care. I mean, it is just a travesty at the way our, let me tell you something, that is unjust, it is not right, and it's unbiblical. And when a nation doesn't take care of its poor and its elderly, we got elderly people 
in this country eating cat food or deciding if they're going to have their prescriptions filled or eat. And, and we're pouring money into everywhere else. Thank God our government is starting to wake up and stopping with all the handouts and all the nonsense and all the billions and all the trillions. Because I want to tell you something. It's not biblical. It's not godly. It's not charitable. It's pandering and posturing for favors or it's bribing nations to behave well with a check instead of standing up and having integrity and drawing a line in the sand. And it's wrong. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have to take care of our own poor, our own elderly, our own sick, our own veterans, our own mentally ill. Hello. You and I should care about that because Jesus cares about that. Then, you know, when we take care of our own out of our abundance, surely we should bless those who are blessable. <laughs> well, I'm preaching the truth whether you like it or not. Amen. Jules has got my back. Verse 57. The people of the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe all in the earth. So everywhere, there's no food, and Egypt has food, and they come to Egypt to buy food. The Egyptians took care of their own first, and then they take care of others out of their overflow. That's a great picture of what governments should do. It's amazing that we have to learn that from pagan cultures. But Joseph is in a position of great authority, great power. He's used his giftings well, He's been galvanized in the eyes of the people. He has the full confidence of Pharaoh. And we're going to see in all of this, God is at work here because Joseph's own people are about to come to him to buy grain because they're starving as well. And God is about to do some amazing things. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father, tonight we just thank you for your word and all that it means to us, Lord. I thank you for those that are here that just want to drink in the word tonight, Lord God. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to be good stewards and to be wise with how we spend our wealth and how we save and, and how we stockpile things, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, to be those who are not wasteful or those who are not ignorant of the seasons and the times, Lord. Help us to be discerning, Lord, that when the way we obey you would sustain us even if job markets fail or the housing bur bubble burst or you know the economy plummets or wall street crashes father none of these things should affect the people of god because we're not connected to the abundance of this world but to the economy of heaven Father, help us, Lord, to understand what's biblical and what's not biblical, Lord. We're to provide for ourselves and to pull our own weight, and every able-bodied person should work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. There's a whole lot of people alive now that shouldn't be because they've quit working and they're still eating. So, Father, help us to come back to the Judeo-Christian ethics that made this nation great, to honor your word once again, and Father, to stop financing foolishness and poverty mentalities and to stop giving to takers. Father, help us to be a nation that sends out more missionaries than ever before. A nation that invests in the countries that you have your hand on. And Father, those that oppose freedom and oppose Israel, Father, help us not to finance wickedness. 
I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.